You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture reading is taken, first of all, from Philippians 1, verse 27 to chapter 2, verse 11. Notice how the verse, how verse 27 begins with whatever happens. That means no matter what else happens, this is what you got to do. So whatever happens, be sure to do this. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit And I understand that to be spirit with a capital S, standing firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our second passage is taken from Philippians 3, verse 11 to verse 14. And so, somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. 
Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And then the verses 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And I'll include verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Our text for this afternoon is Philippians 4, verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's obvious that our text is the last verse of Paul's epistle to the Philippians. Not so long ago, I had the joy of preaching through the Holy Pistol. And what struck me when I did was that one of the main themes of this epistle is living a life worthy of the gospel. In fact, I could formulate it a little fuller, standing firm in one spirit, in the Holy Spirit, striving side by side for faith in the gospel by living a life that is worthy of the gospel. It shouldn't surprise us that this is one of the main themes of the epistle to the Philippians. For this is why we are here as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It reminds us of why God called Abraham out of Iraq. God called Abraham out of the world to be a blessing for the world. So you get called out of the world, you become a child of God, You become the father of believers. You form the church. But the reason why you're called out of the world is to be a blessing for the world. I will bless you, God said to Abraham, and make you a blessing. And in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. 
And that reminds us why Jesus picked up on this theme in his Sermon on the Mount when he said, You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And recently I came across an insight into this light of the world that I thought was right on when the man said, Just remember, God lives in an unapproachable light whom no man can see or ever has seen. So how are people going to see God? They're going to see God in the church, in the life of the church, because the church is the light of the world, the light of God which reminds us that the church is not a social club, but the church is God's new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ, where members of the church exercise their unity with Christ and each other, and where members mature in their unity with Christ and one another. So that when you visit each other, and when you interact with each other, that this is the hub of your communion. This is the center of your fellowship. You are part of God's new creation in Christ. And you're exercising that together. And you're maturing in that unity together. And you manifest this by living a life worthy of the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, various definitions could be given of the gospel. Some shorter, some longer. I'll give you this definition this afternoon. Jesus came to deal with two problems. He had to come because of two problems. One was the problem of sin, and the other was the problem of death. That we get sick, we get tired, and we die. And Jesus dealt with both of these problems on the cross. He paid the guilt of our sins. He broke the power of our sins. He demolished the partition of our sins. He cleansed us of the pollution of our sins. But on the cross, this is the paradox, where he died. On the cross, he also wrestled with the powers of death. And precisely in dying, dying a death where he bore the curse of God against the sin of the whole human race, precisely in dying, Jesus defeated the power of death on the cross. And he demonstrated that he had by rising from the dead three days later. And now the gospel is this, 
what I told you just before was the background to the gospel. It's part of it as well. But this is, this is the gospel because Jesus dealt with the power of sin and he dealt with the power of death. Jesus' body, Jesus' church, all those who embrace the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, all those together as a body, as a congregation, are on their way to a new heaven and a new earth. So that the Apostle Paul can say, in his letter to the Philippians, our commonwealth is in heaven. And from there we await a Savior who will change our lowly bodies, our bodies of lowliness, our bodies that get sick and tired and are sin-ridden. He will change those lowly bodies to be conformed unto his glorious body. And you see that elsewhere in Philippians as well. This is what Paul is longing for. I purposely included verse 11 of chapter 3 in my reading. And so, if somehow... I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. And some people say, well, Paul is doubting whether he will rise from the dead. The solution lies elsewhere. Those Canuck fans among us this afternoon may sometimes say to themselves, if somehow the Canucks can win the Stanley Cup, this year, right? That's the big prize, if somehow. And all of you may have little things that you long for. If somehow, the Lord will give us a child. If somehow, the Lord will grant healing, right? That's, that's at the top of your list. And so Paul says, if, if somehow I might attain to the resurrection of the dead, that's the big prize. That's the big prize for the Apostle Paul. Because he knows what life will be like in the resurrection of the dead. Perfectly loving God with all of his heart and a countless multitude perfectly loving one another. No more getting tired. No more carrying along with him the stigmata of preaching the gospel of Christ. No more crying. No more tears. No more death. But having incorruptible bodies. Bodies that never waste away. Bodies that never die. And sharing in Jesus' fellowship of love with the Father forever. And sharing in His ministry of love 
from the Father for all eternity. That's why he says, I press on. It's the main goal of his life. I press on to take hold of that for which the Lord God took hold of me. That's why God took hold of me. To become a preacher of the resurrection from the dead. And to share one day in the resurrection from the dead. So that near the end of his life he can say, I have run the race. Now is set before me the crown of righteousness which the Lord Jesus Christ earned for me. And that's why the Lord Jesus Christ died. You should look up Hebrews 2 verse 10 sometimes. Hebrews 2 verse 10. Jesus died to bring many sons to glory. That's what it's all about. That's why he had to die. That's why he was born. That's why he did all the things he did. That's why he continues to intercede for his people. To bring many sons to glory. God wants a big family of human beings just like Jesus. You see, the first Adam blew it. And God didn't get it. But the second Adam succeeded. And God gets it. All who are in the second Adam, all who are in the Lord Jesus Christ, are part of that big family of human sons and daughters, glorified together with Jesus, living with God the Father forever through the bond through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. In a nutshell, that's what the gospel is all about. And you realize, of course, that if that's what the gospel is all about, living a life worthy of the gospel is living a life of love. Shouldn't surprise us. Jesus summed up the Ten Commandments. He said, look, it's all about love. Loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbor. It's all about love. And it's all about love because God is love. And I know that sounds very liberal. It's all about love. And God is love. But that's what it is. And it's not liberal. It only becomes liberal when you play off the commandments of God against love. That you can have an affair with someone else because love trumps the seventh commandment. That you can transgress another commandment because love trumps that commandment. That two gay people can get married Because love trumps the commandments. See, that's liberalism. You should never throw the baby out with the bathwater. It is really all about love. Governed by the commandments of God. Because God is love. 
And in his epistle to the Philippians, Paul writes how Jesus embodied this love of God. Jesus didn't look just to his own interests. He looked to the interests of others. He who was in the form of God did not count equality with God something to be jealously guarded. But he emptied himself unto death, even the most horrible death imaginable, a death on a cross. You see, love is never self-seeking. Love always seeks the other, even to the point of death. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ, before he died, said to his disciples, By this all men shall know that you are my disciples. So what's the litmus test for being a disciple of Jesus? Right? By this all men shall know that you are my disciples. That you love one another. That's the litmus test. And that's why it shouldn't surprise us that we hear the Apostle Paul write in his 13th chapter of the first epistle to the Corinthians when he says, Even though I speak in the tongues of angels and of men, even if I am more reformed in John Calvin and more Lutheran than Martin Luther, right? More reformed than Herman Bavinck. Even if I have all of that, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong. I'm nothing. I'm a big zero. It really is. All about love. Normed and guided by the word of God. And the commandments of God. And when we live this kind of a life, brothers and sisters. A life of love. That will manifest itself in our lives. In joy in the Lord. Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Our lives will be characterized by gentleness in the Lord, by peace in the Lord, by contentment in the Lord. This, when the congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ is characterized by love, selflessly giving of oneself to the other. First of all, the other with a capital O, God. And then the other with a small O, each other. That, brothers and sisters, will draw people to the church. Do you want to keep filling this auditorium? You want to keep filling that whole space behind there? You can hand out your flyers. That's fine. 
And you can do a lot of things. But ultimately, it is the quality of life in the congregation that will draw people to Jesus and to his body. Because at bottom, that's what everybody is hungering for. We are all made for God, to live in communion with God. And if God is love, deep down in our hearts, we all have a hunger for love, to be loved. And only God, only God can ultimately love us like that. But by his grace, he can also use members of the body of Christ to love us with his own love. And because living this kind of a life is difficult, brothers and sisters, God gives us the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul began his letter by extending grace to the Philippians. The grace of the Lord Jesus. And he ends his epistle by extending the grace of Jesus to the church as well. And why does the church need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm going to give you three reasons this afternoon. Three that I borrow from a Dutch friend of mine. And they rhyme nicely in Dutch. Unfortunately, they don't rhyme nicely in English. But these are the three reasons. We need grace of the Lord Jesus because of our sins, our wounds, and our bonds. Briefly, something about each three. If we need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ for our sins, what sins could those be? I'm going to restrict myself to the letter to the Philippians. More could be added. The sin could be, in the light of Philippians, that the congregation is not standing firm in one spirit, in the Holy Spirit. You know, like walking in the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. The congregation may not be standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side for faith in the gospel by living a life worthy of the gospel. The congregation may be made up of people who just happen to come together on Sundays. People who consider the Christian faith to be an individualistic thing. It's the Lone Ranger type of Christianity. It's all about Jesus and me. And they've never understood that it was about Jesus and the body. Jesus and the church. In which we, as individuals, have a place. We begin with the body. 
And then our individuality comes to expression in the body. But we don't begin with the individual who just happens to have to come to church for a religious fix on Sunday and then can leave again and has nothing to do with the body during the week. Does not get involved in the life of the church. It doesn't even appear on the horizon. It's me and Jesus. Could also be the sin of a consistent lack of wholehearted love for God and each other. Being a member of the church could perhaps mean more an adherence to a system of doctrine. An adherence to a system of doctrine is important. But if the system of doctrine doesn't lead to a life of love, you can kiss it goodbye. It won't do you any good. Even if I speak in the tongues of angels and of men, but have not love, I am nothing. And so love is not the priority. The system is the priority. And dotting the I's and crossing the T's, that's what being church is all about. And love, well, perhaps it's at the bottom of the ladder. This lack of wholehearted love could also be the result that we are in the grip of selfish ambition. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition, but always consider others better than yourself. Furthermore, it could be the sin of a continual refusal to surrender to the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives, which shows in our lack of joy. Rejoice in the Lord always, I say. Again, I will say rejoice. And people can only rejoice in the Lord always. Even when they have cancer. Even when there are no children coming. Even when there are other problems in their lives. They can only rejoice in the Lord always when they realize that life is ultimately not about themselves. But about the Lord. The Lord is sovereign. The Lord is in control. And I humbly submit to the Lord's sovereignty in my life. Also, when things go against me, I rejoice. If any one of these sins, brothers and sisters, have nestled themselves in my life or in your life, then we need to confess them. You don't just gloss over them. Lord Jesus, forgive me my sins. Amen. Right? You don't just gloss over them. You confess them to the Lord. 
and you are heartily sorry for those sins. And you hate those sins. And you flee from those sins for your life. And you plead. You plead for the forgiving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because unless we confess our sins and forsake our sins, and I'm not talking about a life of perfection, okay? I'm talking about the direction of our life. Unless we confess and leave our sins, the congregation will be unable to grow in living a life worthy of the gospel. A life of communal love for God and for each other. But secondly, we not only need the forgiving grace of the Lord Jesus, we also need the healing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us sitting here this afternoon is wounded. We all go through life with our wounds. I have them, and you have them. And some of our wounds are self-inflicted, and other wounds are inflicted by others. One of my favorite authors is Henry Nouwen. And Henry Nouwen was a deeply wounded person. But Henry Nouwen had the ability to speak with great psychological and pastoral insight into the lives of other people. Just a cursory glance of any one of his books will show you that. But as I said, he was deeply wounded. But precisely because he was so wounded, he was able to do that. And someone once wrote a biography of Henry Nouwen, and he entitled the book, The Wounded Healer. And I thought that was a beautiful title. As a wounded person, he was busy healing others. And see, that's what I consider my ministry to be as well. As a wounded person, I have the privilege of being a channel of the Holy Spirit in speaking words of healing to others. And your own pastors have the same privilege. All pastors do. All of you have the same privilege to be wounded healers. Some of us are wounded by painful memories of the past. 
Some of us are so wounded that a deep root of bitterness has shot deep roots in our souls. Others among us are wounded because terrible things have happened in the past. Still others are wounded because they suffer a deep sorrow in their lives or have suffered a great loss or are living with unfulfilled desires. And because of these wounds, some people never join a church. When you engage in evangelism, one of the first things you'll often hear is this. Me and the church? Come on. You should know what I experienced there. Or what my parents experienced there. You should see what people have done to other people in the church. You'll never catch me joining a church. They're so wounded. The church is not even an option for them. Even though they need the church. And others who do join the church can become so wounded in the church. Perhaps because of behavior of others. Perhaps even by the pastor. Perhaps by the elders or the deacons or someone else that they keep their distance. You'll find them here in the auditorium on Sundays. But for the rest, they keep their distance. Once burnt, twice shy. You realize, of course, brothers and sisters, that if we go through life wounded like that, it's going to be incredibly difficult for us to stand firm in one spirit, striving side by side for faith in the gospel, by living a life worthy of the gospel. It's going to be incredibly difficult for us to engage in a communal life of wholehearted love for God and wholehearted love for one another. It's going to be incredibly difficult to give others a foretaste of the life of heaven, the life of love. And if any of these or other wounds are hindering us in being members of the body of Christ the way God commands us to be, then we need the healing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ just as much as His forgiving grace. And Jesus healed in His day. And Jesus still heals today. And I realize he heals differently today than he healed in his day. 
But he does heal today. He also heals the painful memories. When God's healing grace is experienced in our lives, then we remember differently. We don't forget. You just can't erase your memory. But you remember differently. And you don't allow your painful memories to destroy you and to handicap you and to trip you up and to hinder you in giving yourself in the communion of the saints the way God calls you to. Because God's forgiving grace is healing those memories precisely in the way and the manner in which you remember. Last but not least, in addition to the forgiving and the healing grace of the Lord Jesus, we also need the liberating grace of the Lord Jesus. We have our sins. We have our wounds. But we also have our bonds. Sins can become bonds in our lives. Wounds can become bonds in our lives. But also thought patterns can become bonds in our lives. I'm no good. I don't mean all that much to God. I'm not very important in the communion of the saints. That's a tall order, Pastor. That'll never work for me. It'll never work for us. Why don't we lower the standards and settle for a life of mediocrity. These are bonds. And Jesus came to break our bonds. As he said in the synagogue of Nazareth, the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ is upon me to set the captives free. And when we experience the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, look at our text. Where do we experience that? We experience the grace in our spirits. That's in our souls. Those two are the same. Why do you think Paul says that? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Because it is precisely in our spirits, in our inner being, that our bonds are felt and where those bonds need to be broken. It is precisely in our inner, inner being, in our spirits, where we experience our wounds our painful memories, our bitter loss, our unfulfilled desires. 
And it is precisely in those spirits that we need to experience the healing grace of the Lord Jesus. It's precisely in our spirits that our sins are known. And it's precisely in our spirits where we experience the assurance that our sins are forgiven. Where, brothers and sisters, do you need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in your spirit? So that together as a congregation, you can stand firm in one spirit, striving side by side for faith in the gospel by living a life worthy of the gospel. A life of love, a foretaste of heaven. Is it in your sins, your wounds, or your bonds? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.